This is Inside Indie Games. Join us behind the scenes to see what it takes to create a great indie company and to craft the games that people long to play. Today's episode, brought to you by the UK Games Fund, is with Mark Backler. Mark's the founder of Fourth State and Sketchbook Games. And inside Sketchbook, he's focused right now on a game called Lost Words, which is a narrative-based game set inside a diary. Looking back before that, though, Mark's background's in pretty big companies, everything from Electronic Arts to Lionhead, but he jumped out of that a few years back to focus on his own company. And today, we're sharing a bunch of what he's learned along the way. Right from securing funding, to finding publishers, to how he's found a lot of success in events and the awards they often run. The first thing we got talking about though was around growing his team and that led to what Mark looks for in potential developers. That's both from his own point of view in sifting out the great candidates from the good, but it also gave a good bit of insight into how a candidate can stand out. And it turns out, for Mark, that that doesn't mean having to dive into the code or the modelling right away. I wanted to know whether he thought game maker tools like Scratch had a lot of value in training up real potential games developers. Yeah, I think so, definitely. And I think Scratch sort of even though you're dragging and dropping stuff, you're still using these like logic nodes and it gets you thinking in the same way that you need to think when you're programming with code. So the fact it's so easy to share stuff online as well and get feedback from people and people can rate your games and you can see what they like and what they don't like. And then, and it's, you know, so easy. You can then make another one and learn from what you learned in the first one. So Yeah. yeah, I think it's, kind of the the perfect environment really have you seen developers come from that type of platform already with an audience in place because they have grown a community there yeah i know um one guy who uses stencil that's kind of like a the next step up from scratch and he's got on really well with that and made some really successful games so it's definitely possible in terms of when you're taking on team members, does that type of experience give them bonus points? <laughs> what is it that makes you think this person's definitely for our team? I think when most people are hiring, they so if, if someone has hobby projects on their CV, that's a, a big plus, really. It always looks good that they've done stuff outside of their education and they, they've made things just because they wanted to and they were passionate about it and they, they found it fun. It's always a, a great thing to, to see and it sort of really helps you stand out from lots of other people who maybe just made the things that they were told to make as part of their their course. So just going back to your yourself again, back at um, sort of the early days at university, did you get involved in many sort of um, side projects there in that sense or, you know, game jams or that type of thing? Yes, I have sort of taken part in, in quite a few different ones. Like we did the um, uh, Space Ape Great British winter game jam which some friends and i managed to to win and then uh we also won the uh king game jam too and uh, i've done two train jams which was really good fun and uh then the last few global game jams and one ludum dare which was where lost words started from do you think they're valuable in terms of preparing uh, students for 
more what life in a real games company could be like. Definitely, yeah. I think it's it's a really good way of learning different skills and, and it kind of shows you about working in teams with people and everything is so kind of condensed, but that you know, that's why it's so effective for, for learning because in the space of a weekend, you can kind of pick up these new skills and try stuff out. Um, and often, you know, if you're using a new piece of uh, software or something, if you were doing it in your own time, then you might take a few weeks and be looking up all different tutorials and things and sort of working your way through those. When you're doing a game jam, you're like, right, I need to do this thing. How do I do that? And then, so, you know, you kind of go right in, you don't waste any time and you just get it done. And I always find it kind of incredible how much you can achieve in the space of just a weekend when you have (laughs) these, you know, constraints of, uh, like tight time and the um the sort of uh topic that you you have to to make the game within yeah do you think is that something that you can ever use inside a, an actual company does it work in the real working world yeah i think so i think there's quite a few companies that have sort of proven the, the game jam model and I, some of the most successful ones being like um Clay, uh, well, Clay uh, Entertainment and um, Double Fine seem to be doing a really good job of that, and it's sort of excellent um, PR for them. But then also they get really cool, interesting games coming off the back of that. Yeah, I used to work at Lionhead Studios, and we had a kind of a, a Lionhead creative day when we'd get a few days to work on projects. And then um, they like hired out the local cinema in Guildford and everyone would sort of present their projects to the rest of the company. So that was, was really cool and fun. And yeah, like any game jam taught you new skills and got you working with different people. And that ties right into Mark's origin story because one particular game jam was the genesis of everything he's working on now. To show you how he got there though, let's jump back. Mark definitely didn't start small. His first job in games was with Electronic Arts, working on Harry Potter of all things. What was that experience like? Yeah, absolutely. It was really, really great. And I'm a big Harry Potter fan as well, so working on a game like that was really awesome. From there, he went to Lionhead, working on Fable 2 as a scripter, then Kuju Knickknack as a designer, and finally on to Marmalade as a lead designer. And it was there that it happened for him. And then that was when I did the, the Ludum Dare game jam and uh, came up with the idea for Lost Words, and I really liked it, so I kept working on it after that, and it was just sort of in my spare time for, for quite a while. Then I did this course called the the games quarter which was run by tiger and um i think it might have been ucl and um as part of that at the end of the the course which was sort of it was about six weeks i think um sort of a couple of evenings a week and they would get different um speakers in from the games industry and and at the end of it you had to give a talk either about what you'd learned or about sort of a, a practice pitch for your your project so I did the practice pitch and then after that sort of as a result uh, we were actually offered some funding and so I ended up uh, quitting my job to to work full-time on the game. Before you got to that stage what, what do you what was your speciality what was your kind of um, your role in games generally? So I guess I sort of migrated from a scripting role, so um, a bit more technical to um, sort of full 
game design and being more sort of documents and working with people but I kind of missed the getting my hands dirty in engine so I um, did the the game jam as a way of keeping up with uh, actually doing the hands-on development and uh, and yeah and, and a good way of, of learning new skills and things and I think even when I was at Lionhead I'd, I'd had a hobby project in my spare time that I'd been using as a way of learning unity yeah it's quite fun to be able to work on a small project and kind of do do everything yourself and then I think it helps you have a better appreciation for how hard all the different areas are. And, you know, when you try any of them, you realize, oh, actually, you know, this is pretty tricky and there's a, there's a lot of stuff here and a lot of things to to learn. So how long did you work on Lost Words as a a side project then while you were still working full-time? So I think it was probably about two years and it was sort of, yeah, just um, on and off. And I had the like, basic prototype for it then and uh yeah it's, it's come on quite a long way but then there were still elements that you know we we have now and puzzles and things that were in that like very first version so yeah, it's quite quite interesting actually i mean do you remember where the idea first came from um so the theme of the game jam was minimalism and i wanted to make a game that was a bit like tetris but with dropping words from a quote instead of dropping blocks and then you would sort of have to um, line them up at the the bottom of the screen because they would be going vertically up the screen when they landed and you would have to jump up them. So you wanted them to go in ascending order so that you could jump your character up them to reach a goal on the right-hand side of the screen. But then when I was prototyping it in Game Maker, I ran the game to test it and I had physics on the character but not on the words themselves so the character sort of landed on the words which just hung there in the middle of the screen and I thought hey actually that's much more interesting than my original idea so then I sort of ran with that instead. So you created that very first prototype just in Game Maker. Mm-hmm. Was it, where did you go from there, getting the first bit of help with it then? Who was the first person that came on to help you with the idea? I guess I'd sort of had some advice from different people that I was working with at, at Marmalade, and then the first person who came on board to help was uh, Yuki Chikung, who's uh, an artist who I'd met at, I think it was EGX. And uh, she was sort of a recent uh, graduate and um, I've been giving her some advice and then, um, yeah, liked the stuff in her portfolio. I'm interested, all the people out there with ideas for games, they all would like some help to to get them built. So how did you convince her to to give you a hand? Was that a paid role or was that...? Um, So I didn't have any funding at that stage and I was, um, yeah, so that that was... uh, unpaid but then i did pay her later when we we had some funding in in place sure. um but yeah it's, it's kind of I, I think a lot of the time if, if you're making something you know if you have a prototype and people can see it and play it and experience it they can really like get the the gist of what it is and if it's something that they're interested in especially if you know they're at an early stage in their career as well then um yeah they're likely to um you know be interested to to help out and i I think when when you're trying to get your your name out there just working on a a shipped project will make a big difference so if you can see something that you know you think is um uh it's going to get a release uh then it helps a lot that you can say you know i worked on this thing and it's 
it's a full released game. The first funding we got was the Welcome Trust funding. And um, yeah, and then that was followed by uh, Creative England. And so those sort of allowed us to to get started fully. Did you have a, a team around you at that point? Or was that mostly remote help at the time? Did you have an office space that you moved into? What What was that first day like? There's so many different stages of like when you'd kind of first had the idea and then, you know, you get an offer of funding uh, and then there's a day when it's actually paid. And then, and I guess it was kind of um, uh, a bit drawn out as well, because when we, you know, you, you don't know exactly when you're going to get the funding. So you can't really say, um, you know, this team will start on this day, because if it then takes longer than that, which it probably will, um, you know, they're all unpaid and uh, going to then have to go off and do other stuff. And so yes. it was sort of when we had the funding through, um, we then could speak more concretely to the people who we um, sort of um, been working with or um, had been speaking to before that about, yeah, getting things started formally. Yeah. yeah. I'm finding that with most people I'm talking to, actually, there was, it was, it was much less a black and white transition and much more, yeah, just a, a slow evolution towards working for yourself. Yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah it was um, quite, uh, quite gradual. And, you know, there are moments when like, yeah, the, the first time you get an offer of funding and, um, and actually sort of leaving your job. And so, yeah, there's all these key, key bits that do feel, um, uh, really great and yeah definitely the first time we were um offered funding was uh yeah really really awesome moment and so how did the uk games fund funding come about and uh what stage were you at when that came in i knew it sounded like something really awesome and that i, I definitely wanted to uh, apply to and um I'd applied for the second round and we uh, we didn't actually get in for that, but we did get some good feedback. So uh, I sort of tried to take all of that on board and then, um, uh, yeah, reapplied. And then we, we got into the, the third round, which was really awesome. And what difference did that make to your business then? What did that allow you to do? It allowed us to, to keep going because we were <laughs> like, because we had some initial funding, but then um, uh, after that you know when you then have a paid team it's kind of like lighting this fuse because that money is only going to last so long and then you need to make sure you can finish the the game with that and um that was sort of fast running out and so we needed something to um bridge the gap to uh like in, until we could find um the the finishing funding for the project and uh or or work with a, a publisher so yeah. yeah it was sort of um instrumental really so um yeah made uh, made a massive difference do you remember who your first hire was audrey prophet a uh, a programmer she'd previously worked at uh, whispering gibbon and uh she she's now gone on to work at uh, interior night a really cool new um uh sort of narrative games startup in london and you you mentioned earlier that right now your your team's actually mostly remote how where are you spread around the world um so we have quite a few people in the the uk and sort of in and around london um myself i'm based um in ipswich and the the company is sort of set up in colchester and i work um from the games harbour essex university there um and then we've got a designer who is in vienna 
and we've got a narrative director who is between Oxford and New York. Um, yeah, and then I think most other people are sort of um, UK somewhere, and uh, we're actually having a, a team meet up tomorrow, and we're going to play through the game, try and play through the full thing for the, the first time, and um, yeah, it'll be the, the first time lots of the, the team have actually met each other as well, so be cool. So at that point, Mark was rolling. He had a team around him, some funding to keep them going, and they were working towards a completed game. It was interesting to hear, though, the part of that that he found most difficult and something he might change if he were to do it all over again. Going solo sometimes makes things difficult and, you know, you need to kind of um, uh, get funding to have people working full-time and to... To really make loads of progress uh, so if you had a few co-founders to kind of all work with together when everyone is like equally invested um yeah doing things like that might have made made things easier and um perhaps yeah if i were to to do it over again sort of working with some people who i'd worked with at previous companies might have been uh, a good way to go and then you can sort of you know split stuff up a bit better and um uh, take the areas that that fit you best, and because um, there's there's kind of lots of stuff to to do when you're starting your own business, and you kind of have to learn all about the like finance stuff and raising money and finding publishers, but then also actually be working on the the game and sort of all the different areas of that, and then also like trying to raise awareness about it and start um, building up a, a, a public profile so sort of lots of different hats to to wear really despite all of that mark's done amazingly well in getting a company off the ground all on his own it seemed to me that a big part of that success was that he didn't hide behind the keyboard he got out to a lot of events and he didn't only attend he exhibited he entered competitions he did as much as he could to get face to face with people in the industry and to build relationships that way those relationships then paid off hugely when he had one of his first big wins with Lost Words. We got uh, Yuki's UK Game of the Show award at uh, Gamescom last year. And so, yeah, that was a really great success. And um, we got an article in MCV off the, the back of that. They did like a, a four page spread on us. And then we had a publisher get in touch with us who we've now signed a deal with from that. So I think so far that's uh, yeah, probably the, <laughs> the, the biggest success. Absolutely, yeah. So one event led to all of those things. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so it's really tricky with events because you, you kind of, you know, you know, you want to go to as many as possible, but it's like you only have the time and, and money to, to do some. And so you kind of have to, pick the right ones but you never really know what could come from it and you know you can go to plenty of big events and then spend lots of money on it and not have any sort of discernible benefit from it but yeah it is tricky and I guess you just have to sort of keep keep doing stuff like that and not not get too disheartened because yeah you don't know when it is that something might click and and fall into place and you could get that great chance. Do you have any concept of why you won that award at that point? 
Um, I guess we'd focus quite a bit on this particular um, demo and we'd kind of been working towards having a vertical slice to show to, to publishers and we'd like edited bits of the, the game specifically for this to make sure that it had a really good flow and that people could um, uh, sort of sit down and play through it in like 10 minutes or, or less. But then it, you know, it, it, it trained them about how to play the game to begin with, but in a sort of unobtrusive way. And then that it had some interesting content in the middle because we'd sort of, you know, in the full thing, it's going to take a bit longer to um, get into everything. But because this was a demo, we wanted it to be as uh, compact as possible. So we sort of, um, a big portion of the the demo was like level two of the full game rather than level one. And, uh, And then we sort of edited another bit from further on in the game onto the end of that level so that it had a nice kind of cliffhanger conclusion. And so I think sort of all of the, the work on that made it quite a compelling experience for people. Interesting. Yeah. So you spent a lot of time on making something specific for that event. So it, it was kind of um, because we wanted a, to find a publisher, we were focusing on um yeah, building that vertical slice to send out to lots of people. And then Gamescom seemed like the perfect timing to kind of show it. And uh, even though there were still things that we weren't quite happy with, with the vertical slice and that we wanted to fix and, and did fix afterwards, but but it also came to a point when, um, you know, we couldn't just keep working on that demo over and over and over and making it better and better because we'd already spent quite a long period of time on that. So we then had to sort of say, okay, you know, we feel this is ready now and then start sending it out to all the different publishers and um uh yeah and then go on to work on the other areas of the game to make sure that we didn't end up too uh, too far behind and and run out of funding do you think that's something that games companies suffer from is um is not taking the time to create something that that's specific to grab people quickly and easily and show them what the what the larger game's like um yes and no i guess because um yeah, sometimes, you know, you might just show the, the full game and um, and it might not be that well suited to um, to a particular show like that. But then it's kind of tricky because, um, you know, if you if you do always um, like make a custom build specifically for a, a show and, and tailor it like that, you're kind of doing additional work that isn't going into the final game and isn't going to make the actual game better. And um so yeah, it's, it's hard. You know, we did that at Lionhead lots. We would make really cool uh, different demos for like E3 and you know other big showcases. But then sometimes you just you know it seems like a bit of a waste that you're putting all this work in to make this really cool demo that then just kind of after the show gets thrown in the bin and uh, it's a tricky problem because if you don't have a really good build at those shows, then you know you might miss out on opportunities or you might um, not get the sort of um, buzz and uh, good PR that you you need to, um, uh, to for the game to, to sell really well. But then, if you do too much of that, then the game might not be as good as it otherwise would have been because you spent loads of time doing these uh, these demo builds. So it's definitely a fine line to to tread, really. But it sounds like it paid off for you anyway at that event, getting yeah. yes publications getting the award obviously and a publisher um you feel like that publisher that that event was instrumental in getting the publisher you're working with now 
yeah I, I think it does make a big difference if sort of someone someone sees you and is interested in it and um comes to you rather than sort of a, a cold email from you but yeah yeah um yeah sometimes you know that 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 still works yeah How, how easy do you think it is these days for your average indie game to get published? I think it's pretty tricky, and it, but but it kind of depends on um, lots of factors, and you know, sort of your your team and your experience and uh, the project, um, and but also, yeah, just you know, it's getting published is um, one thing, but then getting published with a deal that you're happy about and that is, you know really good for the future of your studio and um uh yeah that's kind of uh another thing you know what are you looking for in a publishing deal what what makes it good for your studio so i think it's it's that's going to vary for um everyone depending on their own personal circumstance but for us what we wanted was the funding to finish the game and also support with getting the game out there because now you know it's really great that it's so um so much easier than it's ever been before to to make games and we have all these cool engines like unity and unreal and and game maker um but uh the kind of the downside for developers of that is that now there's so many other games out there and also the the platforms to release them on of like the app store and uh xbox live and playstation network and steam um and you know the barriers have sort of come down so there's sort of um lots of competition both in terms of volume and quality so now it seems like yeah you don't just have to make a really great game but you also have to put a lot of time and effort and thought and creativity into how you market your game to, to actually get it out there and make sure it it hits uh you know its widest possible audience and, mm. and does as well as it can yeah do you think that's the real value of working with a, a real publisher as opposed to you know it's possible to self-publish on on the app store or steam or whatever yeah uh definitely i think that's that's a, a benefit and also their support of sort of helping you to to release on different platforms because there's a lot of um like overhead involved with with that and so any support that they can uh can give you is uh is really great and um yeah our, our publisher's been been really uh awesome so far and um they they've so they're always wanting to to help out however they can and to to support us. What do you think a, a developer can do to make a, a, their game more attractive to publishers? I guess it depends a lot on the the game, but kind of a, a, having a really polished build of it so people can play it and um, see the the best side of it depends on who you're you're pitching to, but definitely a, a solid prototype. Um, and then I I guess there's the the other stuff of like a, a strong team, you know, that you, you have experience. Um, and often, even if you're an experienced team individually, for lots of people uh, or publishers and funders, that, that might not be enough. They might want you to be experienced together and have a previous released game. Um, and then I guess sometimes like a, a solid deck as well that you can send of slides that kind of, help summarize all the the cool interesting stuff about your your game and your company and your team to kind of really sell it to them what does the next year of the company look like for you will you be concentrating on on lost words or do you have other things in planning 
Yeah, so we'll be concentrating on Lost Words and um, yeah, getting that released early next year and then um, looking at what's next after that, which will sort of include um, supporting Lost Words and taking it to different platforms, but then also working on a new game. And yeah, I've got a few different ideas, but I kind of haven't wanted to focus too much on them just yet. Uh, but yeah, definitely it'll be a, an exciting time. Someone actually gave me some really uh, good advice at, at one point that um, uh, all games companies are always hustling for money. And you know, you, you kind of feel like it's going to stop. You're like, if I can just get this funding and then we'll be fine and everything will be great. But you know, even the big studios, like quite a, a few, lots of funding we've got, um, bigger companies got, as well and you think you know surely they don't need this funding too you know when we're a a small indie and they're big and established but I guess when you are big you have lots of overheads and lots of costs associated with all the the staff and premises and everything and um, so yeah they have quite a high burn rate and uh, and they kind of you know that's why it's such a hit driven business I guess you know they need to to make these hits that make lots of money in order to keep the lights on and keep everything running. And yeah. in recent years, we've seen lots of big studios um, who, uh, yeah, unfortunately haven't been able to to do that and have to shut their doors as a result. Do you think there's enough funding around for game the games industry just now? I think we are very lucky in the UK that we do have a lot more than lots of other countries in, in the world. Um, but, I mean, I, I think when small companies can can get that funding that will help them get stuff off the ground. They can then be the sort of um, bigger employers of the, the future. Would you take Would you take investment? Would you ever look for angel funding, VC, anything like that? Yeah, uh, so I don't have anything against it. And actually, we've raised some SEIS investment. So, um, yeah, we've sort of um, started uh, down that, that route, really. And um, uh, I guess it's one of the things for me to figure out for the future of do I want to have like a really small lean company or do we want to try and raise um, quite a bit of funding and uh, start a, a much bigger thing um, and yeah just sort of picking uh, which which direction to, to go really Thinking back, just thinking of advice for other people hoping to follow in the same footsteps as you, is there anything you would tell them, anything you wish you knew when you started um, your own business? Yeah, maybe working with other other people you, you trust is a, a good way to, to kick things off and then focusing on the on the game itself and making sure you have a really fun experience even in early block out form and sort of testing it on lots of different people people in your target audience and people outside of it to see uh, how broad a, a appeal it has and um, yeah find out what people like and don't like about it so then you can sort of tailor things uh, to, to suit that sometimes it's quite um, easy to, to get your head down and you're focusing on making stuff and it feels like it's kind of too early to test because you know you haven't got the tutorials in or this stuff you know these visuals that will help people understand what's going on aren't there yet um but actually i think it's always good to try and test as soon as possible and um i guess i've seen some companies straight out of university sort of quite set on getting funding and that's their their model and they you know they want to get a publisher and um, raise a bunch of money but i think yeah even though i've got 
quite a bit of experience. Uh, it was still quite hard to raise the, the funding that we did. If you're all sort of, you know, you've got really low overheads and you're all like, um, you know, back living at home or cheap student accommodation, then it seems like taking advantage of that and kind of making a game as cheaply as possible and then getting it out there is a good way to, to go because firstly, like the game might make enough money to help fund another game. And secondly, if it doesn't, then you've still got a game out there. And so you're then a proven team with experience and a shipped title under your belts. Thanks for listening to the first season of Inside Indie Games. And I've got just one ask for you just now. Find us on Twitter at UK Games Fund and tell us who you want to hear on a future episode. We'll do our best to track them down and bring them on. And if you want to find out more about us too, hop over to ukgamesfund.com. See you on the next episode.